0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hello,
2: and welcome to our national conversation about conversations about race, the weekly podcast where we discuss culture, identity, politics, power, privilege, and everything else in post-Trump America, or maybe it's pre-Trump America. Yeah, we're still
0: pre-Trump. When when do we become post-Trump? Hopefully, in four years.
2: Okay. Uh, anyway, you could say all that or just call the show about race. <laughs> I'm Anna Holmes, and joining me from the Panoply Studios in New York, specifically Brooklyn, are some of my best friends are black author Tanner Colby. Hey, Tanner.
0: Hey, Anna. How's it going?
2: Also joining us for the first time, at least with me, is Aisha Harris, who writes about culture for slate.com and hosts her own podcast, Represent. Hey, Aisha.
1: Hello. Hi.
2: I'm glad you're here. Thanks. And uh, in D.C., Gene Demby, who hosts two podcasts, as well as writing a lot, for his employer NPR. His podcasts are Post Bougie and NPR's Code Switch. Welcome, Gene.
3: What's good? Thank you for having me.
2: (laughs) Thanks for being here. Okay, so today we're going to focus most of the show on a very great and provocative piece on Slate.com a little while back, meaning last month, last year, (laughs)
0: December. We're just getting back in the swing.
2: Yeah. And some of our readers... (sighs) Well, actually, our listeners may have missed. It's called I'm Not Your Rachel Confessor. It was basically a a conversation, a published conversation between four people who include Aisha herself, who actually actually well, wrote it and put it all together. um, Jean, who was also in the piece. Jamel Bowie, also of Slate. And Trusty McMillan-Cotton, who is a contributor to Slate, I believe, but not on staff. Is right. She, correct? She's
1: written occasionally okay. for Slate, yes. Yep.
2: I guess I just want to immediately just turn this over to Aisha and Jean and have them sum up what the story was about and what the motivation for posting it was because it it did ring true on a lot of levels <laughs> but i i want you to kind of give the listeners the background of where it where it all began so i'll i'll, I'll first start with you aisha and then gene can or maybe gene because this okay. really started well like, it started Jean with, was the yeah okay fair, enough, fair yeah, enough yeah okay uh
3: you're up <laughs> so you know just after you know november 9th Uh, A lot of people were in their feelings. A lot of white people were in their (laughs) feelings and they wanted to talk about race. And I guess they realized that they didn't know any brown people. And so they started having their feelings at some of us. By us, I mean Tressie and Jamel and Aisha and a bunch of us, I think, who live in this space where we talk about race on Twitter and which we are easily accessible and so I think it became this became really burdensome very quickly. We started getting dozens and dozens of, I wonder what you think about this. I started getting emails, my personal email, not even my NPR email, but my personal email from people I'd never met before. Like, I have these feelings and I want you to help me work them out. And so it was almost like I was being conscripted into, like, the emotional labor of making sense of race in America, which... You know what I mean? We're trying to figure it out ourselves. But... But
2: wait, uh, wait, can I ask you... Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, wait, why were these suddenly coming in after the election? I mean, I know why, but like, were the questions being directed to you about the election or was it just... It just seemed like the election unleashed a lot of white people's feelings about race and more generally?
3: I think it was the latter, right? I think it was a lot of... Or I think, honestly... The impression I got was a lot of people were starting to interrogate some of this stuff for the first time. Like, oh, my God, you know, okay. what, how do we get to this place where this guy could be president? And, you know, what does it mean? Gotcha. And, you know, I mean, we've seen this 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 uh, wrestling with what Trump's presidency, his impending presidency means in terms of party affiliation. Do we pay sh- enough attention to white people? But I've seen a, a lot of liberal and progressive white people sort of make this sort of try to figure out like, uh, oh, my God, maybe I underestimated. <laughs> the pull and gravity of race in America, racism in America. Mm-hmm. And so I think they wanted to talk about that stuff with somebody, but they ain't had nobody to talk to. So we just got like gotcha. drafted, okay. right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so sorry. So, so so go ahead. So you were getting a lot of people who were who were communicating with you, reaching out to you via Twitter. And there was one tweet in particular that,
3: Mm-hmm. yeah it was basically like the straw that broke the it was one it was yeah. literally like and, and you know it, it wasn't any more egregious than any of the other tweets except for it was like at the wrong time you know she was like number 500 <laughs> you know what i mean it's the million mm-hmm. other straws the, the 499 other straws beneath it as most deaf might say but like uh <laughs> she just said like i'm i really want a black man's perspective on this gene denby what do you think and i was like who is you like you know what i'm saying like who are you <laughs> like what like i don't like you know get get your own people but it was just really, really, really <laughs> irritating. And so I tweeted that, and then a whole bunch of people were like, yes, because this has been going on. This has been this has been my life over the last couple of days, last week or so. This is where everyone has been sort of jumping in and sort of saying, a bunch of people of color were jumping in and saying, like, yes, this has been my life, too, over the last week. Um, so I was surprised. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised at how, how um, common this experience of being like— In a lot of ways, not just like someone that people wanted to talk to, but like being a confessor, right? Because they wanted to be like, Mm -hmm. I'm one of the good ones. That's one of the things that people wanted wanted validated for them. You know, like sometimes they said that pretty explicitly and sometimes that was implicit in what they were asking. But they wanted you to say, I want to have a conversation with you about race in which I am, one, never made to feel uncomfortable and two, assure Mm -hmm. that I'm not part of the problem. And I'm like, that's not a conversation I'm interested in having. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah or or really maybe the, those aren't really things that you you can accomplish for them. I guess I'm curious about whether they are trying to signal or perform their racial bona fides with you by through the type of question they're asking or just by asking a question at all. Like, like do you, do you get Did you have do you get a sense of whether it was just the fact that they even reached out and therefore signaled to them that it was a signal to themselves that they were
3: with it? Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that I think I was trying to—a few people I actually engaged with a little bit, which is when I—and after, after I engaged with a few people, I was like, all right, I'm not doing this anymore. And the, part of the problem with that is, like, you have to try to ascertain, like, what their motivations are. Like, is the fact mm-hmm. that they—it's initiated this conversation, is that to them doing the work? You know what I'm saying? Whatever that looks like to mm-hmm. them. Is that enough? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I am talking about this issue, therefore I'm doing my part. As if, you know— as I, th- I sometimes wonder, this is something I sort of struggle with in the context of our com- of our podcast at Code Switch. But um, I sometimes wonder if we don't put too much emphasis on the importance of talking about race, right? I mean, I do think mm-hmm. it is really important that we have these conversations, but I also think that people think that just wading into the waters, the difficult waters of these conversation, is enough, right? And doing it once or twice gotcha. is enough. And I, you know, it's like, and Anna and, and Aisha. And, Tanner, you talk about this stuff, too, but, like, I, I sort of wonder sometimes how we can have these conversations in a way that is honest and fair to everyone when white people can basically leave at any time, you know what I'm saying? Like, and the <laughs> fact that the people were having this, these sort of feelings for the first time after Donald Trump was remarkable to me. Like, really, like, I don't know mm-hmm. whether or not people that I might be close to have all this antipathy towards people of color. And I'm like, yes. Yes. Welcome. Like right? you know what I'm saying? <laughs> of course. Like this is, I think, a, a sort of a, a neurosis that so many people of color walk around with all the time. I don't know which one yeah, well, I work at. This I was. Uh, yeah. I Me. Mean, sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, no. I, this is why I was a bit surprised by the piece, because I would assume that you get a lot of this. You got you got a lot of this in the weeks, months, years, perhaps decades before Election Day 2016. I mean, I certainly know that. Well, because you you talk and write about race anyway. So what, I guess what I was what I was somewhat surprised by was the level to which you were subject to people's as you put it feelings <laughs> after after the election because i mean because there's a perhaps naive part of me that's like well, you didn't know this before not you mm-hmm. but but them but um
1: i mean but we we've seen it we've seen the snl sketch <laughs> that happened that with dave chappelle and chris rock that happened right after the election where mm-hmm. like they're sitting in that room and all the white people were like what we didn't <laughs> we we didn't realize the country was this bad right and i mean that was a very broad sketch the way they did it but that really did happen. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. the everyone, white people assumed that, yeah, there's all this hate being thrown around. But, like, in the end, America's still really good. And yeah. there are still people who will not vote for Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, it, it happened. And so yeah. now I think they're all soul searching. And that's why it went from, for Jean, uh, myself, I don't write about race and politics specifically. Right. So I don't get that much yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. But, yeah, I can see why it would just go from, like... 50% to like 100, all of a sudden, everyone wants to know, like, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Like, how can I be better? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Right. I think one reason why it may have gone from zero to 60 after the election when these issues exist every day is, you know, Gene, you made the point that, you know, white people always have the luxury of walking away or just never engaging in the first place or just pretending like it doesn't exist. Trump's election is like, oh, well, maybe we can't walk away. Right. Maybe this will, all, maybe this is really going to get in our face. And I read something once about, the white liberal uh, always wanting to make everything about class. The whole Bernie, oh uh, God! You know, well, but 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 was It's an interesting point. Was that the white liberal always wants to make it about class? Because in a class war you can change sides, and a race war you can't. And if it's a class war, if I'm a middle class or a wealthy white person, I can, you know. Live a bohemian life and say, uh, you know, I'm going to join the the side of the proletariat. The proletariat, justice. Right. Mm-hmm. You can right. reject. You can reject the class. You can reject the class that you were born to. Mm-hmm. But if it's going to be a race war, and this would again go to white people reaching out for validation that they're one of the good ones. If it's going to be a race war, am I stuck on the wrong side? Huh. Do I have to be on the wrong side? Yeah. Can I be one of the good white people? Mm. Uh, maybe I'll talk to Jean and find out. <laughs>
2: I often have, at least when I was younger, because I don't think it's that sophisticated in in my case, but I I still think it's been valuable. But I've used the idea of a race war to explain to people who ask me because I'm biracial Mm -hmm. if if I identify more as black or as white. And what I usually say is I I give them, in the era in which I grew up, I was not given a choice Mm -hmm. of choosing between the two. Like the, the, the institutions within this country considered me to be black my parents therefore because or, or or despite it considered me to be black when when i th- was checking off a box on a form whether it was a census form or what have you i wasn't given the option of putting anything but black and because of that and that's not a complaint by the way but because of that i remember when i was about 10 i thought i was thinking of the idea of a race war and wondering what side i would take <laughs> maybe it was a prompted question maybe it was a prompted question but mm-hmm. but by somebody and i was like i thought about it, i'm like well i would be on the black side but I felt that like those was, it was very clarifying about who I really was, right. even though I might read as white outside. Um, I want to go you back to Aisha cover, to though. talk. You
3: know, you could, be yeah, like, like, <laughs> you could be incognito;
2: it would be great. Yeah, incognito. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to Aisha so she, so you can take us through. Okay, so Jean was was tweeted out by this w- woman who was you know the 500th straw of. Uh, uh, above the other four hundred and ninety nine, uh, there was an outpouring of of commentary to Gene about that because you know by other people who who feel that they're used similar
1: similarly. Mm. And then what happened? Because there was so much going on with that tweet like obviously it, a lot of people saw it and you know one of my editors was like this would be good to like maybe talk about more so within outside of the confines of like 160 mm-hmm. characters and I was like yeah this this does sound like a good thing so I reached out to Gene and Tressy and Jamel and was like hey you mm-hmm. guys all were talking about this you've experienced it let's Like unpack this more, and so we had we had our our G chat or our Slack chat. Oh, it was a Slack chat. Okay, it was a Slack chat. Yes, um, and it was really like eye opening just to see like obviously we all have experienced this and. I think one of the th- like the the most fascinating things that come out of it was just like it's not just that white people are coming to us to ask us these questions, but it's white people we don't know right that's exactly and right. that's mm-hmm. kind of where it gets hmm. weird because it's one thing when you have, you know, a friend, if you want to call them a white friend. Uh, so <laughs> some people don't. they they're just like, I don't know her. but um but you know, it's another thing when you have someone who n- doesn't know you at all. You right. have no connection to them whatsoever. And then you're, they're asking you this. And then, then it becomes the motive seem uh, more, if not nefarious, like... The suspect. S- yeah, right. suspect. It's mm-hmm. like, why why are you asking me this? And that was part of what we we kind of went back and forth with, uh, the, the four of us, was like... I know, Jean, at one point, <clears throat> we were talking about... Jean, you were talking about how, like, people... There's this famili- familiarity yeah. that people get from hearing your voice on code switch or reading your work after a period of time. Mm-hmm. They, you wonder, like, it could be, yes, there, there, there's like this suspect, uh, reasoning for why they're reaching out, but then it could also be like, well, actually, they just like think that they're friends with you, but, they're
3: not yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. that's it's, a real that was a thing that i think i did not appreciate more broadly until the code switch podcast launched like um i didn't like I, i've listened to the slate political gap Plus for going like eight or nine years right i don't know emily bazelon but like she's been playing in my house and i've been doing my laundry or cooking so like i've been yelling at the you know yelling out loud agreeing or disagreeing with at her.
2: her no i mean
3: <laughs> usually not with her usually with uh, but um but like uh <laughs> And, and so there's this like, there's something about the, the medium of podcasting that sort of uh, flattens a lot of stuff, right? It makes it feel mm-hmm. like, oh, these are people I know. They're in my ear every week, whatever. Twitter also exacerbates that too, right? I mean, because, I mean, you could curse at the president elect of the United States if you wanted, right now. You could do it right now in real time. And so <laughs> there's all these sort of the social. And he would probably curse back, <laughs> back yeah. at you. He might actually clap back at you. But there, all that social distance is gone. And so I think sometimes people just get too familiar as my boy joe anderson would say like they just get too familiar they don't just forget that they don't actually know you and so you know they reach out and they just ask you stuff and part of it is like a discussion of race can be really traumatizing you know what i mean like for people of color and one of the things that Tracy said which i think was really important was that like in in these kind of conversations and a lot of interracial conversations the people of color who are, have been conscripted into the conversation have to like manage all the risk right Right. The first thing that the white folks who are emailing us want is to like. I mean, sometimes uh, when people tweet at me, the first thing I tweet back at them is like a cookie because clearly they're what they're doing oh is so nakedly like I right. want to. What I'm saying, I'm talking to you because I want you like to, I want to show that I'm one of the good ones, as if that's a thing that is useful to me, right, or useful to anybody. Yeah. Um. But like it also means, God
2: bless you for t- for the cookie tweet. <laughs> that's
3: great. <laughs> it's just it's like uh, I don't. I mean, and it's, it, it, it's people, some like some people are like that's really mean. It's like look this is not the way you would ever engage a conversation with anyone else where you're just like, Oh my God, I'm so on your side. Like you don't know what my side is, you know what I'm saying? But, but even besides that, I think there's just this thing in which before we can engage the conversation, we have to assume all the risk. We have to sort of make sure that, that the white people in the conversation want to engage it. Don't feel uncomfortable. Right. That's the thing that they sort of, I mean, one woman explicitly said that to me. She started tweeting at me. She was like, I want to engage this conversation, but I need to be uh, assured that I'm going to be safe. And I was like, (laughs) <laughs> what are you talking about This is, we're talking about like issues at the, the like central sort Get of the way the we organize no, right first of yeah. all right. first of all push yourself away from the screen. Yeah. but yeah like yeah. that's not then Then it's just un, then it's just asymmetrical then all the, the sort of trauma or or not even trauma but all the discomfort of the conversation is asymmetrical where well, we're sitting out here like well that was unpleasant this is the Margaret Cho to the Swinton thing right like Margaret Cho's probably yeah. like being uh, really polite yeah. on one end and so is like oh we had a perfectly nice chat and Margaret Cho was probably on the other end like fuming Right. But even, if, yeah. even if she's being perfectly polite, you know? So, yeah.
1: Also, Wait, does Tilda Swinton not have any Asian friends? I don't
3: understand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I she's just like, who's the oh, most God. famous <laughs> Asian American woman I can think
2: of? <laughs> I'm going to reach out and get to my agent and get her oh, number. Um. Well, so, Gene, here, here's the thing. I, I feel like this is a problem that exists and existed long before social media, sure. and it's just exacerbated on social media, but it's not something specific to social media. Well, maybe it's just that there's two things. There's the there's the expectation and the desire for a person of color to explain or put things in perspective or absolve someone or answer questions around the idea and realities of race, and then there's the familiarity that social media can, the sense of familiarity that social media can give somebody and how they can overstep that. But those those things feel like s- somewhat separate. But when but when to put together, you know. Particularly irritating for people of color who are on social media, but but certainly like this precedes your your use of Twitter, right? Sure, um, sure. Being 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 used by white people as as the black one, right? Is, is 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 it is it the black whisper or, or the white whisper? <laughs> I guess it's the black whisper. Um, and I wanted to ask you, you used the word traumatic, and I wanted you to kind of elaborate on on that, like what what that means that talking about race in this way can be traumatic, because it's a very big word you just used. I don't mean like sophisticated. I mean, like it's, it's really heavy. <laughs> it's, heavy yeah. it's really, yeah, it's really loaded. So I, w- I want to know what,
3: if you could elaborate more on that. Uh, I mean, part of the conversations, these conversations often involve like very, very real traumas for people, right? When people like, I, mm-hmm. what's it like to have been, you know, I'm curious about your experience as a person of color in blah, blah, blah space. What you'll find is you did, if you talk to anybody about, you know, what it was like to be the black kid who was bussed into a school, right across on the other side of the county, that was all white, right? Like, what you'll find is that people have a lot of really bad experiences wrapped up in a lot of those, in a lot of this stuff, and I think there's often not enough sensitivity to the, like someone just sort of conscripting you into bearing your soul in that way, right? And obviously mm-hmm. like I talk about race all the time it's my job I have like I've developed a bunch of calluses right but there are days when it's like I can't do this today right Yeah um right. and I, I'm sure all of you feel this way you know one of the things that was really the most frustrating about this post election sort of outpouring is this idea of like well if you if you don't talk to me how will I learn right if you don't if you don't sit down and have this conversation <laughs> oh with me God. right like how am I supposed to to like understand these issues of race I don't know any people of color in my real life so how do and, and that's a real thing like is a real I, I sort of understand it all, but I mean it's, it's sort of like street harassment like you can't be like yo what's good can you move over here real quick I want to have a conversation but well, you can't compel me to have that conversation yeah. but as golf, Philip Teva golf, the social psychologist was telling me it's not even just that it's more like if you don't have this conversation with me then I'm not responsible for learning you know what I mean that puts mm-hmm. us in this weird mm-hmm. position where like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all on us you know I just, yeah. I just don't like that uh, setup at all
2: yeah, I, I I I take the point about about these experiences feeling traumatic for people when when they're when they're directly related them to or asked specifically about their personal experiences. Speaking only for myself, when I get questions from white people that have to do with race, they're usually much more general, and so to me they come off as incredibly frustrating and and irritating, but. And, and, like, and I think nebulous, that you know, like,
3: put your put your hands on. Well,
2: like yeah, or like there was a woman on the train who, like, you know, I asked to move over so she could give me more, or I can get more of the seat, and she looked at me and said something about how I was racist. Am I racist? <laughs> like I don't need to answer that question, <laughs> right, right, right. but that's not something that if that's not something that, that for me evokes trauma so much as irritation. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so just, I'm just trying to like parse out like. I also w- when these questions are personal versus when they're more generalized.
1: I also wonder if part of it is that like going back to what Gene was saying about having to manage white people's feelings. Mm-hmm. We're not your therapist. Right. And and that's the thing is that like you like when you're with your therapist, they're trained to be able to deal with very heavy stuff mm-hmm. and listen and And also manage, actually manage people's feelings, and be able to help them unfurl these things. But Mm. when you're asking me to have just a conversation with you, Mm -hmm. you should not be expected to be coddled. Not that your therapist coddles you, but you know, it's 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 not that it's not the same dynamic. Yeah, Yeah. we should be. Yeah, it's and. Also, just don't ask questions before you've done at least a little bit of homework. The problem is, is a lot of these people are coming with no... They they literally... It popped into their head 30 seconds ago, and now they are going to go and find the first person of color they can to ask them this question. Mm -hmm. And you haven't thought about it. You haven't... I mean, occasionally, I think, Gene at one point, like going through that whole Twitter feed, I think there were a few people who were like, I read this book once. Or like, maybe they've read Ta-Nehisi Coates' book. And, And, you know, now it's like, actually... <laughs> Even though after the election, I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't gotten really much of that uh, in terms of people coming up to me. But I like the year before when Tanahasi's book was out. It was like yeah. every party I went to with white people, oh, they man. all wanted to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as soon as they see me, they ask me about it, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, "You really only want to talk about this because I'm here, right? right. Yeah. Like, would you be talking about this if I yeah. wasn't there?" So it's like. <sighs> Do your homework. I think did they that's want to
2: talk great. about it in terms of in terms of like they wanted to ask you questions about what you thought about it or did they want to talk about it in terms of they just wanted to share their thoughts on it with someone? They wanted to let her
0: know that they had read it.
2: Or, or, yeah, or is so it, it just that? I honestly think
1: if if it wasn't people I knew, if it was strangers, especially if they were older white strangers, mm-hmm. um, this happened. I've went to like a few holiday parties last year where there were older white people, and yeah, it was definitely like. Oh, so I read Ta-Nehisi's book and this is what I think about it. What do you yeah. think? And it's just uh-huh. like
0: Well I think it uh-huh. it all I think a lot of it comes down to intention, which comes down to which A is really hard to parse on yeah. Twitter anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it's just automatically taken as offensive. But even in person at a party, like, is this person genuinely interested in having a conversation? Are they trying to show off their, their bona fides to me about how enlightened they are? Are they trying to prove that they're one of the good ones? Mm-hmm. What I was lucky with is that I've only ever approached this in a professional context, right? right? My my book started with a question, like, I don't know anything about this shit, so I'm gonna go learn, and I had an editor who gave me, you know, an advance to do it, and so every single conversation that I had with a, with a black person about this subject was preceded by an email interview request saying, may I discuss your, you're an expert in this or your personal experience right. for posterity, and they could say no. I, and with that, context i only ever had one black person not give me an interview mm-hmm. and, and for a book and so in that context and with that approach people were more than happy to do it and it was never a confessor but
2: have you thing. ever gotten that from a person of color have you ever out of of the context of the book and just in terms of your interaction with a person of color whether you know them well or not asked a question that had to do with race and and been responded to like that's not really my job to to educate you. Has that ever happened?
0: Not personally. Hmm. A little bit on Twitter where people is, like is, is that because each other you weren't asking the,
2: the questions or?
0: No, I mean it really it really hasn't come up that much because <laughs> honestly, most of the times I talk about this is is in some kind of professional context. Like if I, what's interesting is is you know I do get some of these questions as well, especially because oh you're a white guy, you're really safe to talk <laughs> right, to. right right right, um, <laughs> and I get some of those and was like what should I do? How should I do this? How should I do that? And they're rare because I'm not, I don't write as much publicly as I used to uh, on slate and other places, which, which, which is what churns the conversation mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Yeah. But I do like, I've gone to talk to high schools. There's like a rash of high schools in Kansas city, which is the subject of my book. And they bring me there every year to talk is like, look at this. We can put a white guy in the auditorium and that'll solve everything because people be willing to talk and have the conversation. But so my, my context has been completely different from, from anyone else's. And mm-hmm. I don't know that you could replicate what I did. I often said if you want to have, right, because it's not your job to be the confessor, mm-hmm. right? But it's true. Like I hear all the time, this is not our responsibility. White people need to do the work of ending white supremacy in white spaces, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard because a room full of white people talking about racism is like a room full of thirteen-year-old boys talking about women. Well,
1: yeah, it, it's
0: yeah. It, it's just like is fumbling. It? Oh yeah, they don't know anything.
1: Well, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, I don't but, know that but, I would but, either. But I think that when you know that was another thing that we kind of parsed through in our conversation was that. On the one hand, we don't want to have to be t- like repeating the same stuff over and over right. to white people. Mm-hmm. At the same time, do we really want them talking about it by themselves? Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because, because like, who uh. knows what comes out of those conversations? I, I mean, I, yeah, I I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like thirteen year olds always talking about women, uh, but it, it there is that that sort of lines across, which is where I think at least I personally fall on like ask the person who you think is your friends mm-hmm. for white people. Like, but,
3: but, like, but that's a real challenge, right? I mean, like, I mean, so I know, the Public Religion yeah. Research Institute has that study that everyone always cites. 75% of white people have, have no white friends. non-white friends, right? It really is Aisha nobody, right? <laughs> like, it really, that's right. sort of how it works, you know what I mean? Which is the the messed up part, right?
2: I have very conflicting feelings that I have never been able to sort out about the idea of it's not my job to educate you okay. sort of stuff. And, and I mean, I don't encounter this that often because I'm not on the Internet as much as I used to be. That's um, true. But locks. I used to see it and – Right. Yeah, I, Wait, I, I
0: will. I will say. <laughs> no, this. no.
2: Let me finish. Okay. Go, go, go. Um, I, and I used to see, you know, this in the comment sections of various websites that I that I w- would read. One that I w- used to run, <laughs> and I was always really, I was really, I was really just conflicted by it because I understood where the sentiment of "It's not my job to educate you" came from. Like, if someone were to go into a comment section, and this is maybe not the this is maybe a horrible analogy, and say, "What time is the Steelers game on?" The response would be Google it, right? If it if it's something that, that that's less easily Googleable, <laughs> that doesn't have a pat answer, that, that that is much more nuanced. On the one hand, I understand, yes, they could go do some reading up on it, but perhaps the ask is an ask for recommendations on where to find that where to find that material, and 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 I don't immediately assume bad faith on the part of the questioner, even if the question itself even if I interpret it in a way that makes me irritated. I don't know if I'm making sense, but I I, I oftentimes felt that some people's responses of, of, I don't have to educate you, and this could have been a person of color to a white person, it could have been a female to a male, mm-hmm. right. I oftentimes felt that there was too knee-jerk of a response, it was too easy of a response. Like, that maybe a better response would be, I'm not in the mood right, right now right. to, like, get into yes. this. Or,
0: or <clears throat> you hit on it right there, like, it isn't your job, but anyone who's ever had a job that 90% of any job is doing shit that ain't your job because other people didn't do what they were supposed to do. Shit just falls, rolls downhill, and it falls on you. But what you just said is, I think a better answer is, that's a fantastic question. Here's some resources. like just Yeah, but it's even giving them the resources that some people are, are, are hesitant to, to, to want
2: to even expend the effort doing, and I get, but if, I, I get if they that. don't then,
0: then go and expend the effort on the resources, that's not your problem. The minimum of your job because you're right you don't want white people going off and doing it by themselves and they're not capable of doing it by themselves but like he, that's a great question here's a really good book on that is I, that the dispassionate way to discharge the well what unwanted
3: I, onus that you didn't ask for yeah. one of the things that i find Go ahead. i mean like i mean so eve ewing who is a, a researcher who writes a lot in, in a bunch of places but she's really active on twitter she was like look when people ask her these questions all the time she's like look i have never been a white person working this stuff out like, i've always been a woman of color i've always been a black woman Um, And so she threw out this big question, and I actually, like, I bit that idea. She built this question, like, white people, when you started thinking about this stuff, what were you reading? And it turned out that the stuff they were reading was James Baldwin, and, and, you know, it was The Warmth of Other sons, by Isabel Wilkerson. It was all this stuff that, for a lot of black people, was, like, foundational for them, too. was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And so one of the things that was really fascinating to me about that was all the stuff is kind of canonical at this point, right? Like, a lot of this stuff is the stuff that people were rattling off when all these white people were responding— was the stuff that like is not it's not hidden you know it's not I mean there was this one guy who actually literally said to me if I google it I might come up with the wrong answers and it was like I, listen I'm I'm saying you should go google it and you're saying google, you can't even do that like well how are we supposed to have a conversation if googling is going mm-hmm. too far right you know what I mean so I feel mm-hmm. like I hear your point about like right. the minimum amount of engagement you know this is my like our jobs for I mean it's hard to talk about my job is to talk about race right but like at some point this stuff is not just experiential stuff like, well, let me tell you about this thing that happened to me. This is sociology, this right. is policy, this is history. It's out there, mm-hmm. and you can at least engage with that stuff Ill, just a little bit, right, before using it. Like, I, I I will give you one answer that I often give to
0: people, which is that if you're, and again, it's mostly people usually in their 30s or 40s and you know, people in my peer group that are interacting <laughs> with me or asking me questions. I tell people, look, if you're like 35, 40 years old, you're fully baked. You're not going to get it. But what you can do... No, it's true. What do you
2: mean like, you're not going to get it? You're not going to get it. Here's the thing. You're not going to get
0: what? Race. I had get the lost? opportunity to... Wait. I don't know what the hell <laughs> so... you're talking about, but okay, <laughs> okay. go no, ahead. No, go no, ahead. No, no, this is when I when I, when I talk to white people because I recognize, like Jean was just referring to the woman, that someone asked her a question, said, I don't know, I've never been a white person working through this shit, so I can't give you an answer, right? I have been a white person working through this shit, and I can tell you that I had the 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 fortune of making it my basically my job mm-hmm. for eight years mm-hmm. to steep my to read to sit. How many people with a full time job and two kids, maybe even two jobs, can sit down with Isabel Wilkinson's Warren Professor Sons and James Baldwin and, and really, really do that.
2: Okay, but like can so, you can they, can on, they do it at the age of twenty
0: no, five? No, 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 no. Hold on. Because it's something that's tough to get through books. I got it through books and also through just going out and interviewing couple hundred people well,
1: there's also articles like race isn't
0: you're, hip-hop you're, it's not well, guys you are, like, you are you
1: can know what it you is you are afterward.
0: underestimating how bone deep the ignorance is and how oh, hard it is i'm to not
1: underestimating
2: No, but,
0: but you don't know the work that it takes to get i think out that she
1: might know more
2: about why people's ignorance <laughs>
0: i would <laughs> but, disagree I, look, I would fundamentally agree with that i know exactly okay, but what i want to go like. back i don't well, understand hold on. What the
2: point is you're trying to make the you-
0: point is that i'm trying to make is this what i tell people when they ask these questions is that i know for a fact that have grown up in the American educational system to be someone who went to a very expensive private college majoring in 20th century American history who didn't know about redlining until I was 32 years old. Because there's been a lot more of it since Obama, but trust me, before Obama, if you were a white person who wasn't really, really looking for it, it wasn't there. It's not in front of you. So what I did or was allowed the opportunity to do is I really, really, six years full-time reading, engaging, writing, talking to people... I've managed to make myself into a white person who has rudimentary worthwhile thoughts about race. And even some people of color would tell you, no, that's not true. Okay, Okay. But-, but my point being, so what I tell white people who are 40 years old, have full-time jobs, do not have time to do what I did, what I say to them is just try and be the best, friendliest person you can, but you need to concentrate on your children. You need to raise your children in integrated school. You need to give your children the tools to not be who you are because we grew up in this white flight generation where it just wasn't a part of our lives. And if you raise your children in the right way and you give them a multiracial life that they just grow up with, then they that will that is the best thing you can do to fix the problem that you
2: sure, are facing. Sure, except even those people who like, grew up to be adults who are sometimes you know, acquaintances of mine who are white, who ask, who ask bone-dumb questions about race or want me to, to absolve them of something. I, I But I, I don't understand what you were talk, trying to talk about about being 35 or over. <laughs> can you, can, like, what was that? The
0: older you get, the more fully baked you are as a human being. The less uh, perhaps, flexible you are to change, the less perhaps, time you have to, to change yourself. Per,
2: if, if, if you're completely unselfaware, I think if you're a somewhat self-aware person and you're a curious person, I don't actually agree with that at all. I think I don't agree with that at all. I think that like the the, the best kind of life one can live, and I'm not saying that I do it all the time, is right. is to be consistently curious and, and and to acknowledge your ignorance about pretty much everything mm. that you the entire, you know, f- over the course of your entire life. But with regards to the thing about, about people asking questions, why people asking questions or people asking questions, what I find difficult is trying to find a balance between encouraging people's curiosity and wanting them to to learn more and and therefore you know they're going to have to ask questions with the need for in this case people of color to not always be ready and available (laughs) whenever those people have questions Mm -hmm. i'm oftentimes afraid that that by pushing back on questions that white people ask about race or questions that men pose about gender that I'm then shutting down a curiosity that I should be celebratory of because it's so rare in the first place. Right. Yeah, anyway.
3: I mean, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I want to like acknowledge that, like, I understand where people are coming from. Like, again, my own feminism has benefited greatly from me being told to to sit down and shut the fuck up, right? Like, um, and and listen, right? And also, like, but also, but for my friends and and people on the internet, be like, I can't, I can't do this for you, right? Like, I, uh, I understand like how. Frustrating that was in the moment to be like, but I'm just trying to, guys, I'm just trying to engage with these issues. Yeah. And <laughs> think about this stuff. I totally understand <laughs> that frustration. At the same time, um, I understand the other side of it now, and like in, in, in a way that is just, um, it's really, I mean, people are conscripting you into sitting in a place. I mean,
2: yeah, well, there's well, there's people who are expecting you to, to, to do things for them, and people who are asking politely. But then you have to spend time, and, sort of
3: de- I delineating. I, I mean, it's like sort of like partitioning Okay, well, this person it's, it's is, work. This yeah, person is a, acting in yeah. good faith. This person is trying to get some cookies, right? I mean, there's right. um, we got this email today that like that. Is janky, right? It's, and I won't go into what it says, but, it was, it's, <laughs> but it's janky in a way that a lot of emails we get. But it's like, there's something I can, I can actually respond to it because it actually has meat to it, right? There's actually like, a person like, mm-hmm. well, I'm thinking about this idea, about the way we categorize ourselves, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I won't say it's janky, it's just like, it has a bunch of bad uh, assumptions in it. And there's, there's research out there that this person might not be privy to, and a lot of writing about this stuff that this person might not be privy to. I can point them when I respond to them, I'll point them in the direction of like, hey, this is what this scholar said, this is what this other scholar said, that sort of complicates that, blah, blah, blah. That is something that I can do something with. But, like, when people are just like, I have feelings, right? I want to be part of the solution, <laughs> not part of the problem. Right. And it's like, well, that's, I can't do anything with that. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, if you grew up in a segregated community that you have opted to live in and you send your kids to a segregated all-white schools and all this stuff like that, like, uh, what do you want me to tell you? That that's, that that's okay? You want me <laughs> right. to tell you that, like, I mean, like, I don't know yeah. anything. I mean, I have to have a bunch of conversations with you to even get to the point where I can figure out what your motivations are before we can even have this other conversation. Uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: I mean, anyone who's asking these types of questions, whether it's about race or about feminism or LGBT, whatever issues, part of the other issue is that people just give up quickly. Like as soon as someone says, I'm not going to answer this, then Mm -hmm. they're just like, oh, okay, well, I guess that means, like, I'm getting shut down. Mm-hmm. Like, you're shutting me down and my feelings are hurt, so now right. I'm not going to engage. Right. It's like, find another way. Right. Yeah. So, right. if you, like, and, and if you don't, then that means you really don't care, which means, even if I did answer your question, you probably wouldn't, right. like, be receptive or it wouldn't seep into your your being and yeah. make everything better.
3: And to your point about not us not being people's therapists, <laughs> like, you have to, I mean, you have to assume that if you're talking to a stranger that, uh, you're going to mess up right <laughs> like, that that, like and that you cannot basically uh conscript someone into the service of like making sure that they not along with everything you say like i mean and that's part of the problem right is that people want to have these conversations mm-hmm. and they want to make sure that like hey gene i want to have this conversation with aisha i want to have this conversation with you but please don't tell me that i said something stupid right or it's that mm-hmm. i said something that was like impolitic, right i mean i don't know right. yeah
2: it's tough. There was one exchange in the in the Slate piece, to go back to the piece that um, Eugene and you, Aisha, were part of. There's an exchange where Trussy is saying that white readers want absolution. They also want to manage all the risk of interracial contact in a way that minority groups can never do, it is a really privileged ask. And then, Aisha, you said, maybe this is a terrible comparison, but it feels to me akin in some ways To college or just out of college kids asking you to meet them for coffee out of the blue
1: (laughs) that Uh, happens to me way more than anything else
2: yeah
0: that happens to me too i'm sure i read your book i'm working on a a senior thesis i'd love to like have coffee i was like uh.
1: but it's one of those things that like i've noticed (laughs) that at least people like the the professors of color that i know they seem to get it more often or get more assumptions attached to these asks than maybe their white colleagues might which is you know it's like Oh well, you you probably have more time than these other people. You're like not as you're not as like high high ranking, so I now. feel I feel more comfortable. Like these are I'm not a professor, but these are the things that like I've heard professors feel when mm-hmm. these ask, and it's just like. On the one hand, yes, we want to make the world a better place and we want to help especially if it's a person of color or a woman or whatever, we want to help them in their career if we can. Mm-hmm. But if I don't know you at all and we have no relationship, you didn't go to my alma mater, you didn't blah 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 and I'm getting all of these requests, like I can't answer these I can't answer these questions. Maybe we're getting off track. But like no, that no, was no. sort of my that was sort of my janky <laughs> analogy to like what's what going on with That's these a great analogy. Okay, I'm glad you think so. But, it, it, <laughs> but, you know, it was, it just it just feels like that's what this all boils down to, is that all of the burden is being put on the people of color mm-hmm. to answer these questions. Mm-hmm. And white people, like Gene said earlier, like, don't have that burden. They can walk away.
0: I would amend that slightly, which is that, to flip it a little bit and, ha- and have some empathy and understanding for where these people are coming from, which is that, We've talked a lot about trauma and and the burden on people of color. The burden comes from the knowledge that you've gained, that you deal with this all the time. You're keenly aware of it is always in your life. The flip side of that, the burden on white people is the anxiety of, imagine the anxiety of a white person, especially like a white liberal that's likely to reach out with you with these questions right now. We're heading into something akin to a race war. A, they don't know what side they're on. B, they don't even know how to hold a musket. Right? <laughs> First of all,
2: I don't know if I agree that we're heading into our race war.
0: Something akin to. What? What does that mean? What does that mean? It, it means to, I mean, appreciate for a moment. Yeah, these people are anno- have been annoying the fuck out of you your entire life, and you have every right to feel like, resentful of that. But imagine the anxiety and the lostness of someone who's so lost that they're like, maybe I'll tweet to this person and they can, it's like a gay kid in a small conservative town. Okay. It's like, who do I talk okay, to? Okay, but
2: you're assuming that she doesn't already imagine that. You're assuming that she doesn't already have that empathy. Maybe she has empathy and maybe she's imagining that. No, and, I, I'm, like it doesn't matter. I, I, I think because
0: that, it I'm think i sure to, she does, but we haven't really talked about that so also, far wasn't in this that, conversation. What was
1: that movie? Black, like, white, light me when he like dressed like,
0: I don't know. But what, what I'm, what, what I'm, <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying is that like, you have two sets of damaged people in this equation. You have black people who have been burdened with this this No, they're,
2: they're not they're not equally damaged. I I, I, did, I I don't think you can equate the two. I don't think you Did I say two, equally or two people two, who are damaged? said two sets of damaged people and right, to me that feels like one here and one one in this hand and like that that to me is equalizing them.
0: Okay, well, I'm not equalizing, but there is damage on both sides. Both sides have a I can't place the word. But what I'm saying is that we are all damaged by what white supremacy and racism has done to this country. If you only think of this as, as white people are the perpetrators and the burdensome ones and black people are the victims shouldering the burden, then that's not exactly true. Jim Crow and slavery and white supremacy distorted and fucked up this country. And we're all fucked up.
1: Yeah, we're all fucked up. But white people can easily pretend not to be fucked up. And
0: but But with that pretending not to be fucked, remember, trust me. Even when you're pretending not to be fucked up, even when you're ignoring it, even when you're hiding in your gated community and pretending that it doesn't exist, that anxiety and guilt is always there just under the surface because you haven't dealt with it and you're not capable okay. of like, but with see, it. The thing, the, I'm not saying it's as bad as the trauma that black people have okay, gone through in this country. But I'm even, just saying but even, right. that
3: I yeah. I hear what you're saying I hear what you're saying that like obviously racism the American racism white supremacy has had all these consequences for everybody, right? Like um right. obviously mm-hmm. white people have benefited from American racism in all these ways. But and I think one of the yes. things that's difficult about these conversations is the extent to which when we talk about racism, right? We're talking about, I mean, this is sort of the problem with racism as a term because we we encapsulate so many things, right? It encapsulates, you know, everyday bullshit and it also encapsulates mass incarcerations and voter disenfranchisement, all the things like that. Right. And so when we're talking about these big things that like affect black people, like housing segregation and like keeps black people from creating wealth and all these things like that. And then the, the, the stakes for, in these conversations, that stakes for white people are their feelings, which is not really the same thing, right? It's completely asymmetrical, yeah. and so that's sort of the hard part about these conversations. Is like, like there's mortal consequences for people of color in a lot of these conversations, yeah. and and
2: that's why I'm sitting over here, yeah.
3: And I'm not saying, and I'm again, I'm not saying that like like you know, just like just like misogyny and patriarchy has consequences for men in a whole bunch of ways. Obviously, racism has a consequences for the humanity of white people in a whole bunch of ways. But I also don't think that we should try to make them symmetrical when they're not.
2: Anyway. I, I mean, when you we were talking, the reason I was giving you kind of a stink eye, Tanner, I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> I can
3: hear it through you, the I can hear it
0: through
2: the headphones. Is that... I love is you that, saying I, I was mean,
3: not making
0: a moral equivalence? No, no, no. Okay, no, no, okay no. But,
2: but I immediately bristle even hearing that only because, and maybe this is like a failing on my, on my part, but I immediately bristle at it, and, and I think there were two things that came up for me when you were talking. One is one of the first lines in the piece we're talking about where Trusty says... Black people have one primary job to manage white people's emotions, and you instructing Aisha to like, you know, imagine for a, a moment that you know you're a white like like that. That felt like very much like you were telling you you were basically in acting out what Tressie pointed out in that one piece. But also the way that a lot of liberals reacted to the election, which was to say. We really have to try and understand the white working class more. Right. Like, all yeah. all of a sudden it became that we had to like empathize with them more or, or, or work really hard or harder to figure them out so that we can win their votes back. And like part of me was like, you know what? Fuck them. They don't do any work trying to like think about the lives of other people. That was all of me. Like, <laughs> so, so, so so, so, there's a certain point, I think, at which one and maybe it's temporary in my case or maybe
1: it's not in which I'm like, eh, I don't give a shit anymore, you know? And like, we shouldn't have to like right. I'm sorry, but like because there is not an equivalency to be made, like we should be aware of it, we should acknowledge it and we should be we should maybe understand it, but like we shouldn't have to deal with it per se in that way. Like I again, like you said, I don't the white working class, they I know they're not thinking about me. No. So I'm sorry, but I'm not going to go high when they're going right. so, so, so low. Right. right, right.
0: First of all, the, the imagined comment was not directed at Zaisha. It was directed at the royal we, just sort of a general hypothetical. So okay. That, I apologize for if it's misunderstanding. No, but then also, like, you say it's not our job to manage white people's emotions. Well, you, could make, what, you could make the argument that fixing and managing white people's emotions is ending white supremacy. How do you end white supremacy without fixing white people? It's because white people need to fix themselves. Yeah. Again, going back to the earlier point, the whole one of the huge mechanisms of white supremacy as exercised by the people in power who were. Using white supremacy to get poor white people to ally themselves with the power structure to then subjugate black people, so that the, the wealthy could keep their own resources, was to render these people deliberately ignorant and fearful. It is not, and that is their I'm state. Sorry, it is
2: not the job of the people who are who are under the boot of white supremacy to dismantle it. it who just else is, is going to do it? The people who built it up in the first place and benefit from it. Those I people
3: mean, are dead. Uh, no who's gonna do it but the people i mean if those people aren't dead, though right i mean like (laughs) that's sort of like i feel like what you're saying is but again you're back to the
0: it's white people's job to dismantle white people don't have the tools i want to let hold on i want to let gene to do it say what he was gonna say no no
3: i mean i i mean i i mean i don't think that the people who 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 perpetuated are dead at all right i mean like i mean if the major reason that there's this yawning gap in household wealth between uh, blacks and latinos and, and, and white folks is discrimination in housing and we just come off of this housing crisis in which blacks and latinos were hit really hard in which they lost decades of wealth creation like trillions of dollars in wealth right i mean or billions and billions of dollars in wealth you know this is an ancient history right i mean this is in the last 20 years in which all these policies have been enacted and in which they still find broad credulousness right i mean people still i don't know i mean one of the problems with these conversations is the problem with feelings, I think, is that they sort of—feelings they do, feelings are not action, right? I mean, like, right. uh, housing segregation is not a thing that changes unless you do something, right? Like, the fact that you feel anxiety over the fact that you moved into a neighborhood because you wanted to send your kid to a, quote, good school, right? Does not—like, the anxiety you feel about that does not work, right? It does not change anything. You still made the decision. You were still perpetuating these systems of inequity. And that's not fair that—I mean, well, it's not, it may not be— Completely fair to you individually, but is the consequences of that are so so unequal? I don't know. I just I just it feels really wrong to me to 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 put too much. Yeah, I feel
2: like people are responsible for their own damn feelings, but they and, and 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 Tanner, maybe we can have a whole episode devoted to the question of. Do black people have to dismantle white supremacy? Wait, that, Which is essentially what I feel like you're saying. And like, why,
0: why would white people dismantle it? Ask
2: I'm it not. So. A, we we we're gonna move on. We can maybe have another episode about this. But I but I do feel like there's this. If if that's the ultimate question here, then that deserves its
3: own thing well, i
0: mean to me it always comes to think you know like why did john lewis have to march across the selma bridge no, I, I take because that point, jim that. clark
3: wasn't going to do it for him i take the point that like you have to <sighs> okay. change the sort of calculus for white people right i, I, I totally understand that right like, I, I i completely get that like the calculus for white people has to be different and has to be politically untenable it has to be and like look like the civil rights movement did one of the m- many things that it did um, was create a bunch of taboos around expressing certain expressing certain opinions up until the selection anyway. Um, expressing certain opinions in public, um, <laughs> and those taboos, creating those taboos also gave people of color room to operate. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like room to to be. It, it didn't do everything, right? But just putting giving white people a healthy fear of backlash when they said stuff was. It did create a little bit more space. In some cases, a lot more space for people of color, color to like move into more fully into american life but that's there's a ceiling to that though there's a ceiling to how much white people's feelings matter right when it comes to like changing structural stuff
1: it feels like maybe we should be focusing less on changing feelings slash hearts and just changing laws yeah
2: structures
0: sure but it was white people's feelings of fear and anxiety that produced donald trump and a majority republican congress which makes it harder to change laws correct
2: if you're asking or if you're positing that we have to center white people's feelings in order to dismantle white supremacy, then there is a f- serious and extremely fundamental disagreement here that we cannot work we're not going to work out right now. And also, I feel like I'm I'm a little irritated to be honest with you. And I just I'm just like, asking I just, questions. I just need to think about it and we'll have another uh, episode don't, don't about it. Don't say that.
1: And during this conversation, <laughs> I'm just asking questions.
0: One
3: of the things that Philip... I'm not asking anyone to be my confessor. That's the no, no, no. no right. One of the things you're, that Philip Atiba no. Golf was saying to me when we were having this conversation was that part of the problem with conversations about race more broadly is that <laughs> what he said was the popular understanding of racism is racist. And he said it's racist because it always posits white people's feelings at the center of everything conversation and so when we're having these post-election sort of post-mortems right we're trying to figure out what the hell just happened everyone's like you need to talk you need to sit down and go into these red states and talk to your uncle who has these terrible feelings but that presumes that that is the most important battle that needs to be fought right that though that that's the locus, uh, right. that's the battlefield that we, we need to be waging these fights and mm-hmm. I think that sort of then one I mean that would take forever right we like you know what I mean one uncle at a time one uncle at a time <laughs> would take forever right but also um, it 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 presumes that that is where the stakes lie.
2: It, it also just indulges a certain laziness on the part of white people that I'm that I'm I have no I have no patience for. So, as I said, I keep trying to move on. <laughs> that was not a dig at Eugene. It was a dig at all of us. <laughs> um, um, we're gonna leave that topic, but listeners, I'm sure a lot of them want to weigh in. So I'm please sure give <laughs> us a call at 612 888 eight R A C E. Our robot answering machine is standing by. You can also email us at showaboutrace at com. So in terms of recommendations, we have a recommendation segment every episode. What have you been reading, watching, or listening to that our listeners need to know about? Gene?
3: I have been reading Matthew Desmond's Evicted, which is not, like a, mm-hmm. not the lightest reading in the world. I mean, it's light in that it is a very compelling read, but it. It is um, mm-hmm. also incredibly depressing and heartbreaking. It's a, it, Ma- Can you explain to the listeners what it is? Sure. Uh, Matthew Desmond, is a. Um, is, he's a Harvard researcher who wrote this book about housing eviction in Milwaukee. And so he tells the story from the perspective of some people who are sort of perpetually in poverty, some of them who are black, some of them who are white. But also the people who benefit from this system and, you know, the people who um, they're moving companies who get. You know who are contracted to go into people's houses and toss all this shit out on the street. You know um, when they when they've been evicted, there's an entire industry around the evictions of people, and you sort of create this class of people who live in perpetual upheaval. And you also see that like people have very human level motivations, right? I mean, some people are just trying Mm -hmm. to. There's one of the main people that he focuses on in the book is this woman named Sharena who is a black woman who is trying to move into the middle class. She's buying property and so she's renting out the people and if someone's behind on their rent, then that messes up her mortgage. So she has to, you know, so she like goes hard on them and has to kick them out, right? Um, She's just trying to keep her head above water. And so like there's all these sort of complex systems, webs that people are invested in it just it was one of those books that you read and you're like damn is this the only way we can do this you know what i mean and it's not mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a book written by an academic that does not read academically at all it is it, there are all these scenes that are just like wonderfully wrought but also just like heartbreaking about watching this this teenage girl but watching these people throw her shit out on the street and they're like well you didn't pay your rent for two months and it, it turns out that she was raising her four siblings because her mother died two months ago the rent wasn't paid because she was alone you know it's just oh, like man. But this is the system we live in, and I, like I want to like compel everyone to read this book. Yeah. Anyway, that's right. Okay.
1: Thank you, um, Aisha. Mine is a little more upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> <say> much. Um, <laughs> so this week, I actually I was able to score an interview with the legend Rita Moreno from
3: my yes. podcast. What?
1: Oh, I fucking love her so much. How like, old is she? She's eighty five and does not look. Good. God bless she her. She looks amazing. You interviewed her in person. She's, she's, mm-hmm. I did. I did. Wow. Um, but so she's currently in a show that just dropped on Netflix today. It's a remake of Norman Lear's One Day at a Time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like that, oh, that, I that saw. That's right. But uh, instead, it's uh, a Cuban-American family. Rita Moreno plays the abuela of the family. And Justina Machado, she's been on a lot of things. Uh-huh. I'm blanking on all uh-huh. that. George Lopez, on, right? But, uh,
3: right? What's he one George no. Lopez? Huh? No, I'm thinking someone else. Mm, well,
1: she definitely wasn't the lead. No. Um, she might have been on an episode, but because that's the way the same with black people, like like. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> he uh, was on that, I, on that show. That's <laughs> the way Hollywood. played yeah. that show. That's the way Hollywood works. But the show, it, it so it has a laugh track, but <laughs> it's kind of like the Carmichael show uh-huh. in that it's like way like it 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 goes above what you would expect the laugh track uh-huh. today sitcom would have, uh-huh. and it deals with. Every single, because it's Norman Lear, yeah, it deals with every single topic you could possibly think of. There's a really great episode about uh, being the diversity pick for, like, so the daughter of Justina Machado, she uh, gets this uh, coveted scholarship and then she finds out it's because she's the diversity pick. And so the way they deal with it is really, really smart. And... It, it's just great. Like I recommend people, it's very enjoyable, but also smart and the laugh track, you can just kind of like pretend it's not there. Okay, uh-huh. So so one day at a time, the update of one day at a time on Netflix, but
2: yes. also let's also, but when has the podcast episode where you interview oh, her come yeah, out? So the podcast
1: comes out next Friday. Okay, So okay. Yeah, check it out. So the
2: Rena Moreno episode what's up? next Friday. She's so amazing. Um, awesome. Okay. And Tanner. Uh, is, mine is
0: slightly less upbeat than that. <laughs> yes, um, bring it back, bring it back. In, <laughs> bring in, it back in, down. Inspired by our new potential Secretary of State-elect, I'm reading Private Empire, ExxonMobil, and American Power by Steve Call mm-hmm. to just get a firmer grasp on what it will actually mean to have a uh, oil and gas CEO as our uh, chief diplomat. And what are you it, learning? Well, it pertains to race specifically in, in that it's largely about Exxon. Up until the '90s, all of its oil reserves were in the West, in in civilized, free market, open, democratic societies. And they realized with with the fall in the Berlin Wall and the opening of of oil resources in previously communist and now just developing or unstable countries that America didn't have access for that. You know, getting the oil meant going into all of those uh, unstable regions with you know, governments torturing, killing their own civilians and, mm. and and everything like this. And the ways in which Exxon used its clout to cover those things up in some places, be complicit in those things, lobby the, the American government to step in on its behalf when those things were going on. It's a huge book. It's like 600 pages mm-hmm. long. I'm only like 20% in, but it's, it's pretty to, to the extent that, you know, I think the Obama Trump transition is really a, a fundamental question about who is America is America The American dream where we can all e pluribus unum and, you know, arc of the moral universe bends towards justice and Mm -hmm. we're becoming a more perfect union, as Obama told us, or are we just basically a corporate front to extract resources from places where brown people live Mm -hmm. or, you know, and this book would seem to make the case for the latter. But it's also, you know, just a, a raw look at real politic power, which is that we're dependent on this oil. And other countries are dependent on this oil, too. And and this is what it takes to get the oil, you know, in just a sort of a brute force, unavoidable way.
2: I need a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you, Tanner. That's all for today. Our producer is AC Valdez. Our research assistant and tech maven is Cody Carvel. Thanks also to Alana Milner, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. You can see its entire roster of delightful podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. You can find links to the things we've discussed today on our website, showaboutrace.com. And again, feel free to give us a call if you want to weigh in on what we've been uh, talking about. And again, I think there's going to be a lot of calls. Maybe not. Um, 612-888-RACE. If you'd like to email us or send a voice memo, the address is showaboutrace at gmail.com. And of course, you can follow along with the conversation or join it yourself on Facebook or Twitter at showaboutrace. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining our national conversation about conversations about race. And on behalf of Jean and Aisha and Tanner, I'm Anna Holmes.
0: You got away without a recommendation okay. there, Mr. I know I noticed that. I know.
2: I didn't have. I didn't have one. Yeah, it was I'm sorry. Funny. I got away. I'm sorry. Well, I, I I didn't have a good one because it was like Moonlight, which I finally saw.
0: Oh, <gasps> oh finally! Oh
2: my gosh. Okay, what did you yeah, think? So, <sighs> and, and, and I just feel like it's so old that no, I no, can't no. be like, oh yo, yeah, bug guys,
0: have you heard about this movie called Moonlight? <laughs>